get on with what we're going to do today. All right, Joseph. We've been following the story of Joseph for a couple of months now. And we're getting, we're getting into the, the, the meat of the story. But before we dive into that, I just um, wanted you to just think about a little bit, flex your mind back over the um, last few weeks and month. And what are you like when it comes to waiting for things? <laughs> How do you do with that? What do you like when you've got to sit in traffic? <laughs> There's obviously going to be some ministry at the end of this. When you're sitting there and you've just got to wait for the lights to change or for the... the, the the kind of the traffic to clear so you can get through because it's bottlenecked or there's been an accident or it's just sheer weight of numbers. What do you like when you've got to queue for things? The British, if you're British here, are renowned for their ability to queue, to, to wait in line for something to come when you wait in line to be served at a shop or to buy your ticket at the train station or wait for your food at the, the restaurant or whatever it is. How are you good at you at waiting? What about waiting for a delivery? If you've ordered something online, I'm a big fan of online shopping. It means you don't have to go to a shop. It's great. From the comfort of your home, you can buy stuff, you click, click, and it, and it comes to you. And then, but you've got to wait then. Once you've decided, I want to buy this item, you've then got to wait for it to come. And sometimes they can say they can do next day delivery, but still that's a long time, isn't it? The next day. I've got to wait all of this day and overnight, and then it's got to come tomorrow. Uh, we've got, um, with Amazon, we've got the prime delivery thing, so everything comes next day because we've got to buy a lot of stuff for the church and for kids' work, and sometimes we need it like now. But even that can be like a long time. And I read an article um, somewhere about Amazon um, experimenting with drones. Have you heard about this? That they're going to like do these little unmanned flying machine things that you can order some stuff, and it can be with you in an hour. An hour. And I'm just like, this is the future. I like this. So I can click on whatever it is and I can say I want to buy, I don't know, a new book or a CD or something, or something boring, like something for the house. And it can be at your door with an hour and this little flying thing. And so the waiting time will be cut. But I imagine if that kicked in and we all enjoyed that, an hour would suddenly seem like a really long time, wouldn't it? I can't believe I've got to wait an hour. And this whole idea of waiting for things... As I was thinking about this and preparing the sermon, I thought about something I heard when I was growing up, which was a phrase, hurry while you wait. Hurry while you wait. I don't know if you've ever come across this or anyone said this to you. Hurry while you wait. And when I first heard it, I thought, that sounds stupid. What do you mean, hurry while you wait? You're waiting. You've got to sit there. You're bored. You're annoyed. It's tedious. You're queuing. You're in the traffic. You're on the train. You're waiting for something. But this phrase, hurry while you wait, came. And the point of the phrase was that while you're waiting for something to happen, you can be getting on with something else. You can be doing something else productive. Something can be working in your life. While you're waiting for this to happen, you can be doing other things with your life. And when we look at what's happening with Joseph's life, we're going to see him doing this today. Joseph had to wait a long time for the promises of God to be worked out in his life. But in the meantime, he was hurrying on and getting on with what was put in front of him, um, the busyness of life. And he was deciding to, to make use of that waiting time. So what we find Joseph, in Genesis 39, what we've had with Joseph is Joseph was a young man of privilege in his family. He was favoured by his father to the um, annoyance of all his brothers and so he did very well. But then his brothers decided they got, had had enough of him. He'd got some dreams from God. And God said, this is going to happen in your life. And Joseph, being Joseph, told everyone, this is what's going to happen. You're all going to end up bowing down to me. They didn't like that. They decided to kill him, which is quite an extreme response. But they weren't happy. In the end, they decided, well, we won't actually kill him. We'll sell him into slavery, which is as good as, you know, we'll never see him again. He gets sent to Egypt. 
He gets sold to um, the captain of the guard, a man named Potiphar, and he starts working in his house. But Joseph is favoured by God and does very well, and Potiphar notices, and he gets raised up to the highest position in the house by the master himself of running everything in the house. And Joseph must think, things are going well for me. But then Potiphar's wife likes the look of him because Joseph was a bit of a hunk, and she thought, I like this guy, I want to sleep with him. And so she starts trying to seduce him, and in the end Joseph just says, no, 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 no. And so hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So she accuses him falsely of uh, trying to rape her, the master of the house is obviously annoyed that he's tried to get on with his wife and he gets sent to prison and that's where we find him now. So what was very, he had a high position, it went low, it looked like it was on the up again and then it went down to his lowest point. So Joseph at this point is at the lowest point we'll find him in the story. He's in prison, he's been falsely convicted of a crime he didn't do, um, he's been branded a sex offender and the promises that God gave him right at the beginning of our story look like they're not going to come to anything. And we're going to pick up and find out kind of what's going to happen with Joseph. So Genesis 39, I think we were in verse 21. Joseph's in prison. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not all interpretations belong to God, please tell them to me. So the cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they would put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating it off the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, 
He made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. All right, big idea today is we are to get on with whatever God puts in front of us. We're to get on with whatever God puts in front of us. All right, so the story is Joseph is now at the lowest point. He's been thrown into prison. He's been kind of rejected. He was in a position of kind of a little bit of authority in the house, kind of for a slave, a servant, but now he has been put in prison. Everything has gone wrong. He's now at his lowest point. We called this um, sermon series a privileged prison palace. Well, he's now at the middle bit, the prison. He's right down in the lowest pit. But it says God was with him. God didn't forget him. We might, things might go wrong. Things might go down in our life. We might think everything's gone bad, but God doesn't miss it. God was there. God was with him. It said God showed him favor in the prison, and he was then put in a position to look after the other prisoners. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but he was obviously in prison, other prisoners, and the, the, the chief of the prison said, well, you get to kind of help me run this prison and look after all the other prisoners who were there. So his position kind of he went into a position of authority. So his circumstances changed, God's love for him didn't change, and God's hand on his life didn't change, even though things changed around him. And Joseph then suddenly finds himself kind of moved back up the food chain, so to speak, and he's now he's still in prison, so still not great, but he's now actually got some authority and he is serving the other prisoners who are there with him. And then chapter 40 starts with this ominous kind of um, phrase, sometime after this. Now, we know that Joseph, I think was 17, it says, when, he, um, when his brothers sold him into slavery. And we know when he stands before Pharaoh, which will be, I think it's the next chapter that we'll get to, he's 30. So you do the maths, 13 years has passed somewhere. So he's in prison for some of that. So he's been in Potiphar's house for some of it. He's now in prison for some of it. So he's in prison for a significant amount of time. We don't know exactly what it is, but we can make some guesses. Because if you go down to verse 4, it says there was more time had passed. So we're looking at probably over 10 years maybe that Joseph is languishing in prison getting on with what has happened. So there he is, he's in prison, he's got a little bit of a role and responsibility there, but time is ticking over. I don't know if you've ever seen those kind of cartoons of people in prison, they, they chalk the wall, don't they? Like with the days or the, of, their, of their sentence, how long they've been there. And I imagine the tally getting quite big on his wall as he's crossing off the days he's spending in prison. And then these two other characters appear in the story. The cupbearer, which is a very senior position, the one who would serve wine to Pharaoh himself. Often that to taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Very senior, very responsible position. And there was the baker, the one who cooked for Pharaoh and made his food. They'd obviously done something to displease their master. We don't know what it was, but we do know that it was bad enough for Pharaoh to have a hissy fit and throw them both in prison. And when you're king of everything, you can do that. You have annoyed me. You're both going to prison. So I don't know what they did. Maybe the cupbearer spilt something on him. Maybe the baker burnt his cakes. We don't know. It could have been something way worse than that. But they end up in prison. But it was obviously something that made Pharaoh extremely angry. And Joseph is then appointed to attend them, which must be a bit hard because if you're a prisoner 
You know, that's pretty bad. But he says, now as a prisoner, you've got to serve other prisoners. So these guys were obviously quite important royal officials, the baker and the cupbearer, to the point where they got, a, they got a servant while in prison. That's a pretty good deal. If you're going to go to prison, I'll have a servant while I'm there, you know, if I've got to be in prison. But that's what these guys got. So there you are. So he starts attending them. And obviously he's doing it for a while because it says time is passing. And then it says they had a couple of dreams. And this is the second lot of dreams we've met in the story of Joseph. We had the first one right at the beginning that Joseph himself dreamed and said, I saw the, the sheaves of barley kind of bowing down to me. That was all you guys, all my brothers bowing down to me. And then he said, I had another dream. There were stars and the moon and the sun. They also, they all bowed down to me as well. So that was my brothers and mum and dad. You had to bow down to me as well. And then they've kind of gone quiet on the dream front. And now the second load of dreams come. And both the baker and the cupbearer have these dreams. They don't understand them, the text says, but it leads to them being extremely troubled. Extremely troubled. Something's bothering them. They've had a dream that's woken them up and they're disturbed. I don't know if you've ever had that where you've woken up and you've kind of felt a bit troubled. I dreamt something, it wasn't, the mo- it wasn't a nice thing, and you fill out and you can still remember it in the morning. And you start thinking, what was that about? Was that the pizza I had last night? Or whatever it was. But you have those kind of crazy dreams that you feel a bit strange in the morning. And these guys had the same. And Joseph knew instantly from walking in and looking at them, you're bo- something's bothering you guys. I can tell by the look on your face. I've known you for a while. Something's up. What's going on? Now, the reason they're probably feeling so bothered, because at that time in that culture, dreams were considered a divine revelation. God or gods or something beyond this world was speaking in to the situation. Now, Pharaoh would have had people in his court who were kind of like magician characters who would have claimed to interpret dreams and speak into them. And so they were given a lot of credence and a lot of way. And so these guys had vivid dreams that they don't understand. They don't have access to Pharaoh's court where there might have been people who could have helped them understand what was going on. So clearly they are bothered by what's going on. It's almost like something's speaking to us. Something's going to happen. Is it a sign of the future? Is it good? Is it bad? We don't know. And we can't find out anything about it because we don't have access to court we're in prison we can't go and talk to dream interpreters what are we going to do and Joseph realizes this and Joseph makes an interesting statement what does he say he says you've obviously had these dreams but all interpretations belong to who to God ultimately that God's the one who's the author of these God's the one who's behind them if you want to know what it means you don't go and find some magician or something we also you go to God He's the one who's going to tell you what's going to happen. He's the one who's going to do it. And Joseph, it seems from his tone, is assuming that, well, I can interpret these dreams if God allows me. If God's the one behind it, if he, if he gives the interpretation, we can understand what's going on. And Joseph, um, and uh, they jump in, um, and the cupbearer shares this dream about you know, birds and all sorts of strange things. And Joseph interestingly, he just interprets it. He doesn't actually pray for any revelation. He just says, tell me your dream. Cupbearer tells him his dream, and he says, this is what's going to happen. In effect, he's saying to the cupbearer, you're going to be restored in a few days. You're going to be restored where you were. God's going to kind of bring you back to that position, and that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to come work out with your life. You're going to be restored, which is, um, I imagine the cupbearer was pretty pleased with that. If, so, if you had this crazy dream and someone says they interpret it and they give you a really good kind of answer to it, you might think, yeah, that's fantastic. So Joseph just gives that. Then he makes a request of him. He says to the cupbearer, well, I've, I've interpreted your dream and it's obviously good news for you. Um, do you mind remembering me when you come back into authority? Which Joseph obviously means he believed the dream. He thought it would come to pass. He thought, God's in this. You're going to get restored. 
When you do, could you please remember me? Because I am in prison unjustly. And he makes his case. He said, I'm from the land of the Hebrews. I'm not from here. I was sold into slavery. I shouldn't be in this prison. Can you remember me? Kind of like, I've done this thing for you. In, in the, when you get elevated back, please remember me that I may get out of this prison because I shouldn't be here. Um, and we know that we, the end of the story, that kind of falls on deaf ears. But he makes his case to the cupbearer. Now, the baker who would have been sitting there thinks, this is great. This guy can interpret dreams. And he's just given this guy a great answer. I'm, I'm jumping in now for you first. Well, guess what? I had a dream too. It really bothered me. Let me explain my dream to you. And he says, well, there were, there were birds and there, were, there was bread and there was all sorts of there was eating. And so he explains it to Joseph. And Joseph then has to give him the answer. And the baker's obviously expecting a good one. And Joseph then gives him the bad news. Oh, sorry, by the way, actually he doesn't even say sorry, does he? He just gives it straight. In three days, your head is going to be lifted up because you're going to get hung. And the birds are going to eat you, which can't have been very nice, but that's what God gave him. That was the interpretation, so he just gives him that. I can imagine the baker not being very happy at that point and thinking, wait a minute, you gave him a really good one. And he said, well, actually, no, this is what's going to happen. And then we follow the story through. Everything happens just as Joseph had said because he'd got revelation from God. Pharaoh had a birthday party uh, in a few days' time. And it would have, uh, obviously, there would be a great feast for Pharaoh's birthday. And which immediately his mind would then turn to his cupbearer who serves him the wine and the baker who cooks the food. And he probably thought about them again and thought, oh, yeah, those two I put in prison. Well, the cupbearer, whatever he did, was forgiven. It was overlooked, whatever his crime had been. Well, the baker obviously wasn't forgiven and he was led out to be executed. So everything Joseph had said came to pass completely and the cupbearer would have been a witness to that because he survived. The baker would have been a witness to that briefly um, and then he was killed. But it says tragically at the end of the story there, Joseph had made his plea. It says the cupbearer was restored, the baker was hung and... The cupbearer did not remember him. Out of sight, out of mind. He was restored to his position. Everything went well. From his point of view, he's like, I've lucked in. I'm out of prison. Everything's going well. But he forgot the young man who told him what was going to happen there. And so we leave Joseph languishing in prison. And so from the beginning of this little passage to the end, Joseph is still in the same position, stuck in prison. And we've had two lots in that text, in verse 1 and verse 4, it says more time has passed. So he's just waiting there, kicking his heels in kind of when is God going to fulfill his promises that he had way back at the beginning of the story when we began with Joseph. All right, let's look at a few teaching points for us. How do we hurry while we're waiting? How do we hurry while we're waiting? Number one, give yourself to humble service. Give yourself to humble service. Joseph found himself for the second time in very difficult situations. He'd been sold into slavery and he finds himself in a foreign land in an unknown situation as a kind of a servant, a slave in the household of Potiphar. He's now kind of gone round the, round the loop and he's back again. He's now in prison, falsely accused. He's got kind of, can it get any worse and what it says he did, he basically got on with, with what was put in front of him. In Potiphar's house, he did the job that was given him, whatever he was purchased by Potiphar to do. He did, humbly. It led to something, but he just got on with what was there. He got into prison, and he carried on doing the same thing. He just 
He just got on with it. Now, let's not belittle his circumstances. They were horrific. He'd been sold into slavery. He suddenly realized all his brothers wanted him dead, which must have been quite a bad revelation for him. He then gets sold into slavery. It looks like it's going well. He then is falsely accused of trying to kind of hook up with the master's wife. He gets ended in prison. He was in a very bad place, and what happened to him was horrible. But he seemed to just get on with what God, uh, sorry, what God had put in front of him, the situation he found himself. He chose to trust God's timing, trust God's plan, and he went about there. And he chose to, he was in a position, he chose to serve others. He didn't choose to rebel against it. He didn't say he tried to run away when he was a server in the house. He didn't try to say he tried to break out of the prison. He just got on with what was there, the situation in front of it. And if we look at who's the ultimate example of this? Jesus. This I find it fascinating when you actually reflect on Jesus' story. He came, he was born to, in a, a stable in Bethlehem. It says then he lived 30-odd years in obscurity. He learned a trade. He was a chippy, a carpenter, and he worked hard at it. And he did a good job. And, this, and you might think, well, that's, you know, that's normal. People do that. But actually, this is the king of kings who made everything. He made the trees he was cutting down and soaring up to build houses and homes and whatever else he had to build, tables and chairs. He, knew, he created all these trades that he then had to learn by the side of his father, Joseph, to do that. But he did it. He just got on with it. And he was the one who's overall. And even when he was in his ministry and he was preaching the gospel and the good news of the kingdom and he was praying for the sick and training his disciples, we see at the end of his ministry, what did he do at the Last Supper? He got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. He just got and he, he humbly served those around him when he didn't need to. He was the greatest. He was the great I am. He was the one who made everything and he did it all. And as believers, we're asked to do the same. I don't know where you find yourself in this life. Are you going through kind of training, learning new skills, new trades, or you just finished them? Or you're in a workplace and you're, kind of, you're there and you've got a job and you're meant to be there tomorrow morning and get on with that or you're, you serve with children and that's kind of what you do with much of your life, serving and training children. Um, but we are asked to just get on by God with what's in front of us right now. So I don't know what's in front of you today. I don't know what's going to be in front of you tomorrow and the next day. I don't know what, what you've been called to do, but God says whatever it is, do it well right now. Whatever God's called you to, do it well right now. And we, um, we don't have to kind of uh, belittle that. The gospel frees us from that. We don't have to look down on what God's doing or look up to what others are doing or look down on others where they are in life. But God's asked us to humbly serve in the position he's called us to right now. Whatever you're doing now, do well, just like Joseph. Whether it's going great and everything's like wonderful or whether it's like Joseph. <laughs> And everything is just like, oh my goodness, could it possibly get worse? Joseph was just humbly serving those around. And he was in prison and he had to serve other prisoners, other people who were there. And from Joseph's point of view, if I was Joseph, I would have got wound up. Because you know when you, you watch a telly and you see prison stuff, what do all the prisoners say? I'm not guilty. I haven't done it. But Joseph, we know, really didn't do it. He was innocent. He was innocent. He shouldn't have even been in prison, yet he was actually serving other prisoners who would have been guilty of crimes. And he found himself just getting on with it. I know for me, um, one of the things that kind of I, I, we had to deal with and work through as a family was when God spoke to us about coming 
to, to lead a church. It had been something that we'd been waiting for a while. And it's sort of, yeah, we kind of got to, now's the time. And we moved to Sutton Coalfield. And I was like, yes, finally. Not finally. I'm leading the church. I'm kind of doing what God's called us to. And then I looked around and there were four adults in our front room at the time. And it was like, this is epic. I'm, I'm serving, I'm leading this church. And one of the things was, previous to coming here, I'd been serving in full time in a couple of churches for about nearly eight years. But coming here meant, um, when we've only got a church of four, it doesn't justify having a salary to actually do the job you've got to do. I had a couple of days a week doing that, but the rest of the time I had to fill with finding other work. So I went back to teaching. I'm a teacher by trade. Um, that's my qualification. So I, I, I was finally leading a church after all these years. God said, now's the time. And the first thing he said was, right, go back to your classroom that you haven't been in years and serve lots of small children. And I spent a couple of years flying around this city doing supply work in all these different places, serving lots of small children to help get this thing going because it was the way to generate income and serve my family. And so I went from being, yeah, church leader to, no, you're going to spend more time in a classroom serving others to help move this thing forward. And it was me, it was God saying, just do whatever's in front of you because eventually it will work out where I am leading that. And even us as a church, I don't know if you thought about where we're going as a people, God's called us to some very big things as a church. But if you look around, are we there yet? No. No, we've got lots of the way to go, but we've got stuff we can be doing right now. We've heard about it. Easter, we had some cracking events with loads of people here being blessed and sort of experiencing the love of God, maybe for the first time. And that was wonderful. And I know that God's called us to great things, but right here, right now, we do what we can with what we've got, and we do what's in front of us. So the first thing we need to do is give ourselves to humble service. The second thing Joseph did was look for opportunities God gives. Look for the opportunities God gives. Joseph was going around life as normal, which for him wasn't much. He was in a cell, and he had to serve other people. But God gave him opportunity with two other prisoners who had had dreams. And how did this work out? Well, the first thing we noticed about how God gave him opportunity was Joseph loved people. The first time he walked into the room where the two prisoners were, the morning after they'd had their dream, what's the first thing he noticed? Your faces are downcast. There's something wrong with you. He knew them well enough and he cared for them enough to notice there's something wrong. I know you and I've been around you to notice there's something wrong with you. And then what did he do? He asked them, what's wrong? He cared enough to be bothered about them. He cared enough to actually think, well, I've noticed there's something obviously wrong with your demeanor that I'm actually now going to inquire to what that is. And I believe he showed a genuine interest. He wanted to know what's wrong with you. What, how can I help? How can I serve him? He obviously loved these two guys, the two prisoners he was serving. He inquired about them. He said, what is it? And then it said he listened to the answer. They told him that was going on. And he said, well, he, he was listened and bothered about the answer. So he loved people. He said also, he says, he gave glory to God. Because they said, well, we've had these dodgy dreams that have just like, made us like, totally freaked out. And he was like, well, all interpretations belong to God. Ultimately, he's the one who gives it all. So he knew where his, kind of, his, um, his perspective, his priority was. Well, ultimately, it's all from God. All this situation, everything in. So he gave glory into the correct place, credit where it's due. God's the one who's going to give interpretation of his dreams. It's not me. I'm not going to be any smarter than anyone else. God's the one who's going to do it. And then it says he stepped out in faith. Because he said to them, 
please tell me your dream. Please tell me your dream. And we know in that culture that would have been the dreams meant something. They needed an interpretation to inquire. And Joseph was like, God's the one who's going to give interpretations. So he's put all the emphasis on God. And he says, tell me. Tell me what they are. There was an assumption on his part that if God was gracious, God was going to give him the interpretation. And what's interesting, he was also extremely courageous in what he did because he gave the, the interpretation the good and the bad. So he gave the good news to the cupbearer, but he also gave the bad news to um, the baker who would have got, you know, who got executed as a result. And this is how we're to live. Primarily, we're called to love people, to be concerned about people, to care for people. We're in the people business. And it's not something that we have an option as believers. We're called to love one another in the kind of the community of faith, the church, in a, a local context, but in a wider national, international context for those who, who follow Jesus. We, we're so called to love them. But also it says actually the world's going to know kind of that by the way we love one another, but also we're called to serve out as well. We're sort to love the community. We're sort to love this world. We're sort to love people in it, love who God loves. Because God so loved the world that he sent his son. So we're called to love others. And we're told to demonstrate that. That's what we're about. And so there's a question here is, who do you have around you in your life? Who is the people that God's put you in contact with? The people you serve with at work, your colleagues, your boss, your subordinates. Those who you friends or you socialize with, other parents you meet with, you're connected to your children and their children. People you just, your neighbours, God's put you in a place for a reason. Who are your neighbours? Who are those people around you? Do you, do you love them? Do you, are you actively thinking you know, good thoughts towards them? Which I know is tricky in some situations because some people are just plain annoying. They really are. But the good news is, so are you. <laughs> so you're, they're thinking the same about you, but we're called to love them and seek good for them. Are we people who give glory to God? Now, this comes in two forms. You can give glory to God privately in terms of you can just acknowledge that everything you have is, comes from God. Your, your home, your family, your job, your money, your possessions, your health, your skills, your talents, anything that you're, kind of think you're good at, it all comes from God. And we can public, uh, privately just acknowledge that, God, this is all from you. But there's also a public acknowledgement when things happen and we see things and we, people are saying, you're awesome. We actually say, well, actually, God's the one who's awesome. God's the one who's working this situation out. I'm not smart enough to make this happen or work out this way. God's the one's doing that. When we pray for that and people aren't, you know, prayers are answered and they look like, man, you're a good prayer. And I think, well, actually, no, God's a good God. <laughs> My prayers are all right, but God's the one who moves. And we're called to step out in faith. Step out in faith. When was the last time you did that? That's quite a scary one. When was the last time you actually said, I'm just going to step out and say it? I feel God's given me something for you, or I'm going to offer to pray for you, or I'm just going to even put myself on that in showing care for someone, because that can be quite courageous sometimes, because that often gets thrown back in our face. Actually, I'm just going to show, I'm going to make myself vulnerable by just showing that I love you, I care for you, I'm for you, I want good things for you. So look for the opportunities God gives. Last one. Last one, be patient with the outcome. Joseph had to wait a long time. We don't know how long, but we know it's kind of 13 years of the bracket. So there's some period in there he was waiting and waiting for things to happen a long time. And we are called to wait patiently for the hand of God to work. And two things. First thing, things take time. Lots of things just take time to work out. They do. But here's the other thing we don't often talk about. Sometimes you take time. Sometimes God needs to work on you 
and you can take time to sort out. Have you looked at it that way? Sometimes God's saying, I'm ready to use you, but I just need to iron you out a little bit. Joseph, if you've read the story before, is about to become the prime minister of Egypt. Egypt was the superpower of the time, the most powerful nation in the world. Prosperous, militarily strong, economically powerful, and Joseph was about to become number two in the nation. God was ironing him out through this whole process, teaching him, learning things. So when he got into that position, can you imagine if God had put him in there as a 17-year-old? Oh, that would have been bad, wouldn't it? Can you imagine a 17-year-old as a prime minister, kind of, of, of a superpower? They have a hissy fit one day and an Armageddon has just come upon us because they're just like, let's attack them. Just attack them, send all the army in. It just wouldn't work. So God was working, Joseph. And the same with us. Sometimes God is ironing us out and ironing things in our life out. Say, God is not finished with me yet. Say it louder. God is not finished with you, which means he's still working on things with you. And so we need to be patient with that. Some of you have got things God has called you to. Things that are in your heart, that God has put on your heart, that you know are coming in your future. Places you're going to go, ministries you're going to be involved in, things you're going to do. Kind of issues on your heart that you want to see the gospel impact. They might be social justice issues, whatever, that you know there are things. Some of you are going to go to other places and do things. Some of you are going to start stuff here that's going to just radically change people's lives. And you sit in a position of going, it's not happening yet. I want to say to you, be patient. God is working. I don't believe God is ever inactive. He's always doing something. Sometimes we can't see it. It's happening behind the scenes. It's happening kind of underground, unseen in our eyes. But God is working things out. And Joseph is a prime example in that story. I, was, um, I remember having the first sense of kind of being called to be involved in church leadership, particularly to lead a church, I think when I was kind of early 20s, maybe even 20 Tomorrow I'm going to be 40. I mean, it's like, it's been a while coming. But all the way, if you had given me a lease for church when I was 20, it just would have been bad for so many reasons. So very many reasons. But God has been kind of shaping me, working on me. And you'll be pleased to know God's not finished with me yet either. There's much to be worked out in my life as he kind of shapes me. But we all live in that. God's got things for us. God's moving it. But we need to be patient with the outcome. All right, do you want to stand up? We're going to finish, and I just want us to make some commitments together, and then we're going to worship God. Matt and Phil, do you want to guys want to come and get ready? I think from this point, I, think we, I just wanted us to decide a few things together today. And I'm just going to lead us through. And if you want to just kind of say an amen and a yes to that, whatever that means for you, and I'm aware we've got how many people in the room, there's that many different situations because we're all in different times and places. So we can't be too prescriptive. But as general principles, they will apply to all of us. And I want us to decide together three things. And if you think, yeah, I can do that, yeah, I want to be a part of that, you just amen and say to God, before God, I'm going to do that. And wherever I find myself today, tomorrow, the next day, in the months and weeks to come, I'm going to do those things. The first one I want us to do, maybe you're going to close your eyes, focus on God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come here now, be with us, minister to us, let us know your presence amongst us. The first one I'd love us to decide together is, while we wait to serve and get on with whatever God has put in front of us. While we wait... We're going to serve and get on with whatever God has put in front of us, even if it's got nothing to do with where we think God's going to take us. 
in the future. So if you think, yeah, I can get behind that, you just say an amen to Jesus now and say, while we wait, I'm going to serve and I'm going to get on with where you put in front of us. Second thing I'd love us to decide together is we're going to love by the grace, we're going to by the grace of God love those who are around us. We're just going to love those who are around us. We're going to do whatever, whoever God puts in front of us, our neighbours, uh, friends, uh, colleagues, those we kind of bumped into, even the guy who drives the bus who takes us to work. <laughs> you know, we can do what we can just to love those around us and express that to them. To so those who are in the household of faith, those in the church, those we love. And the last thing I want us to decide together, that we are going to trust that God is always at work doing something. That even though you can't see it right now, God is at work in your life. God is at work in your life of your family, your friends, this church. And we're going to make that come in. God, we trust you and say, God, you are at work, even though I can't see it. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Do you want to? Someone here.